So if you were with us last week, we had a pretty good week. Uh, it was good. We had um, we experienced the the privilege of seeing uh, seven. I'm sorry, not seven. Uh, six professions of faith uh, take place last week, and four uh, people. We had planned for three and turned into four people getting baptized. That was a lot of fun. And there's nothing more fun than that for us. We talked about last week, we talked about the simple gospel and how that we're called to faith in Christ. That is about placing your faith in Christ as your hope for heaven. We talked about that because Jesus spoke regularly about believing and thus receiving eternal life through faith that we place in him. And again, we discussed that last week. If you were here, you heard it. If you weren't, you could always hear it later online. But this was, this was the message that we talked about last week. Jesus spoke about it often. But interestingly today, interestingly, Jesus spoke about something else. He spoke about another calling, not just a faith in him for salvation, but he spoke about another calling. He spoke about discipleship. He spoke about following him, about following him. He, that we would choose or decide to follow Jesus. That's a song we sang when I was a kid. Some of you may remember that if you were in church for a while, depending on your age and your time history in church. We used to sing a song called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. How many of you know that tune right here? Well, a number of us do. I have decided to follow Jesus. I don't think it's in a, it was necessarily in a, in a hymn. There might be some hymnals. But it's definitely at least a campy song that you'd sing at, you know, get-togethers. Great for teen camp, uh, you know, summer camps when everyone got right with God every year, once, once a year or something. I don't know. But anyhow, I have decided to follow Jesus. I go, I'll tell you, I want to sing it. I'm going to invite you to sing along if you know it. And if you don't know it, it's easy to catch on to. And if you're at home and you know it, you could even sing in your living room. That's okay. It's allowed for you to sing uh, with us even at home. But the song goes like this. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. How many of you have never heard that song before? Ever, raise your hand. You just heard it just now. What do you mean? You just heard it. How could you say that? Uh-huh, you got you there, okay. No, but, uh, okay, so here's the thing. Um, it's your first time hearing it, okay. Um, if you've heard it before, you've got to help me, because I was singing, uh, there was more hands singing than you knew it than I had singing with me. So let's try it one more time. Ready? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. We even added little verses to that song as we went. One verse said, the world behind me, the cross before me. And what that referenced was that we're not living for the things of this world, the pleasures or the short, the material gains of this world, which is also fleeting. We're living for something bigger, something eternal, something more purposeful. The world behind me, the cross before me. Let's sing that. Ready? The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. We had another verse that we said, if I was alone, if my friends bailed out because they weren't interested in that and no one would join me, 
Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Let's sing that. Ready? Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning. I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Something Jesus spoke to was following him. Yes, faith and believing that he died for our sins and rose again, and but putting our trust in that for eternal life. But then to take a step to answer his call to discipleship, to follow him, to follow Jesus. And his first followers, even his first disciples were called. He went on the side of the lake and he told Peter and Andrew to leave their boats behind and leave their nets and come and follow him. He called out to, uh, to uh, James and John at a nearby boat and said, hey guys, leave it all behind and follow me. He went a step further and he, he um, stepped in and um, told Matthew or Levi at, at his customs uh, desk to leave it and follow him. And he just went about and, and just called his followers. You say, well, that's good for them, but that's then, this is now. But you understand that, that Jesus was passing on a command for them to pass on throughout the generations to us. In fact, Jesus' very last words, and some of you know this, his very last words spoke to this subject. We call them the Great Commission. And I use that term, and some of you know that term, or you've at least heard the term, but let me explain it to you. It's the title that we give to the last words of Jesus. After he died on the cross, after he rose again, he spent 40 days appearing and going about doing miracles. And uh, I'm, not just, I'm sorry, but he did those already. He spent 40 days just being seen after the miracle of the resurrection and just kind of validating, putting his stamp on what he did on the cross for us. And the, just primed the pump for people to just start flocking to faith in him. At the end of those 40 days, he ascended back to heaven, but he gave some very last words to his disciples or to his followers. And we call those words the Great Commission. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention them. We're going to read them together in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because of that, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, Mark says, go preach the good news to everyone. Luke mentions that Jesus said, be witnesses about me to everybody. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus says, look, here's what I want you to do. Preach the good news. Tell people the good news that I died for the sins. I rose again. They can believe and receive eternal life as my gift. It's just through faith alone. But then beyond that, baptize them. That's the next thing. Baptize them. And then, and then teach them to, to obey, to follow the commands I've given you, to be disciples. And that was the Great Commission. And they did it, by the way. Throughout time and throughout distance, and 2,000 years later, 
the other side of the planet, here we are following or worshiping Jesus and being called to follow him still. And he spoke about believing and then following, but he talked about baptism. It's kind of a first thing there. Once we believe on Jesus, he calls us to baptism. We got baptism was last week. We're going to do another one soon. But, but it's interesting that Jesus, the first thing that Jesus did when he began his earthly ministry, the first thing he did was he got baptized. And he wasn't because he was repenting from his sins. Baptism was around before Jesus. People got baptized um, for lots of reasons and different cultures for different reasons. John the Baptist was baptizing before Jesus was, started his ministry. He was kind of doing a baptism of repentance to turn from things to God. And, and there's a baptism of John. But Jesus came along and was baptized there and set up something that Christians have done ever since. And he was baptized. In fact, we see in, in Matthew 3 and verse 13, it says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? I can understand that question. Like, I shouldn't be baptizing Jesus. Like, this, is, this feels wrong. But Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. That's a great statement, isn't it? We, we, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John baptized him. Uh, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. And Jesus was baptized. And ever since then, uh, Jesus didn't get baptized because he was believing in himself, but we get baptized to identify with Jesus. And since that time, from that time on throughout the history of the last couple thousand years post-Christ, post we just, baptism is doing what he first did at that, at that point. We identify with him through baptism, that he was our savior, that he died for our sins and was buried and rose again. And likewise, we go in the water, we are baptized. We, we're baptized. We, um, we um, been doing it ever since, but Jesus' followers do it. Also, it symbolizes that not only that our faith is in what he did for us for salvation, but that we've given him our life, we've died to our old self, raised in newness of life to him. And, and baptism is what Jesus did, and he led by example. And he says to his followers, follow me. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we follow? What do we do to follow his example, to walk in his steps? Well, that's, that's one thing right there. But Jesus, Jesus taught and demonstrated a whole lot more than that. It's very important to understand this, especially as some people who are religious or grew up in a fairly Christian-ish nation, that it's important to understand that um, Jesus didn't just come to give us a moral code to govern society and for us to live by as people who follow that moral code. He didn't just come to reinforce an existing moral code. Jesus came to show us the divine. To show us the divine through his example and through his teaching. There had always been moral codes and laws. The, Hebrew, the Jewish people themselves that Jesus came to 2,000 years ago, they had national laws. You can go back to the Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament, the ancient Hebrew scriptures, where it tells the story of them being freed from slavery in Egypt. And as they established this new nation, God had Moses, their deliverer, give them moral codes from him to govern their nation. You think of the Ten Commandments, but not just the Ten Commandments. 
all the commandments that were given to the, the nation of Israel to govern their nation. It was just helping them establish a new nation. But Jesus didn't just come to just say, here's some new, new national rules. There, by the way, there were, there were nations that had moral conducts besides the Israelites. Like you could read the Bible and you'll find that there was many people who had been given, I mean, the, the thou shalt not kill, that was not unique to Israel. It was like everyone else could kill whoever they wanted to, but then in Israel, thou shalt not kill. Oh, doggone it. Now I can't do it. You know, It wasn't a unique law to them. Many cultures across society said the way to have a civilized society is don't kill each other, okay? Or there's consequences. Don't steal from each other. Don't cheat on each other. And so there's these, these, these big ideas to govern nations, whether they're God-fearing nations or not, just to operate in a civilized culture. And the Jewish people were given laws as well that we see in our Hebrew scriptures to kind of govern their nation. But Jesus didn't just come to say, hey, keep up the standard. A lot of Christians today feel like that's just, you know, our nation has been built upon Judeo-Christian values and I'm a good God-fearing person. So, okay. A lot of people feel we're good God-fearing people because we don't kill, cheat, steal, uh, at least not in any big ways, Right? And we're better than other people. And we look down on other people and we feel arrogant. And that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come just to reinforce a moral code or give a new one. He came to show us God, to show us the divine through his example and through his teaching. That's why in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told the crowd, he said, yeah, you, you got to exceed the righteousness of the religious pious. Because they follow the, 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 the laws of the land and they think they're better, they play the game, but they're missing it. So Jesus in that sermon said several times, you have heard, but I say. You have heard in your laws, such and such, but I say unto you, there's a whole different thing at the heart of God. For example, you've heard in your law, thou shalt not kill, he said. But I say unto you, you should not be wrongfully angry at anybody. You've got an anger problem, you've got to deal with the anger you shouldn't hate people. He even says you shouldn't call people fool or idiot. You know what's interesting about that? It's a lot of Christian people, we think we're okay because we haven't killed anybody and we're just good God-fearing people. But we're angry all, all the time. We hate groups of people. And we're always on social media calling somebody a fool because of how they lead our country in one way or the other. Or idiots because of the way they vote different than us. But, but we think we're, we, we think we, we're, but we're good God-fearing people. And Jesus said, you're missing the heart of God. Yeah, you don't kill, but where's your anger issue? Where's your hatred for people? Where's your name-calling? He says, here's what you ought to do. Quit trying to make right things right with God. Go make things right with the people you've wronged. That's what Jesus said in that sermon. We don't want to hear that part because it kind of messes with how we do it. We don't want the heart of God. We just want to feel religiously pious. But following Jesus is a whole different thing. And it's not about your where your Sunday morning attendant shows up or uh, your broad categories of groups you belong to or don't belong to or your dress code. It's something deeper in, in, in our relationship with people. He said, you've heard it was said, don't, don't commit adultery. That's good law. Here's a better one. Don't lust. But I say don't lust in your hearts. He's, you've heard it was said, you know, don't break your vows, whether they're your, your marriage vows or whether they're your contracts in your business where you sign your name on the dotted line and then you, you break your word. He says, the law says keep your, keep your contracts, keep your vows. But I'm saying to you, you should be better than that. At the heart of God, you should do something even better. You should just let your word always be gold. You should not have to swear on a, your mama's grave 
When you say something, it should, you should mean it. When you say you'll do something, you should do it. When you say you won't, you shouldn't. You should, your handshake should be as good as a signature and your word should be gold. He says, the law says, you have heard the law say, you should repay people. If they're good to you, pay them back. If they're bad to you, hey, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, someone's wrong to you, go the extra mile, turn the other cheek. If they take something, give them something else. You've heard him say, be good to the pe- good people around you and just hate your enemies. I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you, and pray for those that despitefully use you. And he's like, I'm just turning the whole thing onto a deeper level because this is not a moral code that Jesus was enforcing. He was teaching us the heart of God, the heart of the divine, through his actions and through his teaching and his example. And he says, follow me. And Jesus said that when we do that, we are being like our heavenly Father who lets his sun shine and his rainfall on the crops of all people, whether they're good or bad, just or unjust, and we should be mature and, and, and perfect like him. Now, we're called to follow him. But like the disciples who were following him, sometimes following him might f- seem fun at first and even seem easy at first. It's a new, it's a new thing. It's, yay, follow Jesus. But, but sometimes we don't understand what fellowship is. So Jesus goes deeper, does a deeper dive into what following him really means. Because for a while, whenever he would say, follow me, that seemed good. Because it was exciting and new and good things were happening. So he has, a, he has this dialogue about discipleship. And he clarifies discipleship with his disciples. In Mark chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Because the buzz was out there. He was doing miracles, feeding multitudes, healing people. He's like, what is the crowd saying? Am I, what's trending on Twitter? You know, like what's going on on Instagram? What do the people, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist, who had just recently been executed. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the other prophets. In other words, you're one of the ancient prophets of old who's long been dead. You're like one of our folklore superheroes. You're back. You're, you're one of them. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, oh, you're the Messiah. Like, we know the answer to this. You're the son of God. You're the Savior. Like, we were there. You're doing the miracles. The crowds are listening. They're coming. This is big stuff. These are good times. Hey, in those days, it was exciting to follow Jesus because he was popular. There were, Jesus had a lot of fans. He had a lot of fans. The disciples were fans because there's a lot of notoriety and the cool things. It felt purposeful to be a part of this movement that was happening. The crowds were there. The crowds loved him because he fed them and healed them, and did all sorts of good stuff. He he, he had a lot of fans. So Jesus is about to push the envelope and try to show that he was there for something better than these highlight moments. So in verse 31, he says, Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law, that he would be killed. But three days later, he would rise from the dead. He begins to talk about being suffering, being arrested, tortured, killed. And again, he would rise on the third day, but he said, it's going to get ugly for a bit. Part of following me is following me to some other things. And as soon as Jesus says this in the following verses, Peter's like, no, 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 I just told you, you're the Messiah. Stop talking that way, Jesus. These are good days. Don't talk like that. Be positive. Woo! And Jesus is like, 
get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the heart of God. You're missing the whole point. He kind of pushes at him. So Peter, so Peter, and he just gets quiet, and Jesus is realizing that he's got to, he's correcting because it was not uncommon for them to be excited when things were exciting. He had a lot of fans. In fact, it's interesting, other places like John chapter 6 where Jesus would go and the multitudes would see him feed the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and a few small fish or he'd heal the sick. They'd come back and say, we want more, we want more. So then he'd say, today I'm only going to teach you about what God really wants and what he's really all about. When he was done teaching them about, about that, they'd all say, what was this nonsense? We didn't come here for this. Where's the parlor tricks? That's what we wanted. Where's, what in the world? You know what? We're out of here. And the crowds would leave. And sometimes they'd be left alone. And Jesus would say to his disciples, are you guys going to go away too? No. He was trying to show them that it won't always be the popular thing. It won't always be the, 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 the thing that brings them the fame and the notoriety, the excitement, the sense of something's happening. The fans would turn their back when the team got bad. And he was prepping them with a, with a, with a thought. He's, he's prepping his, his disciples with a thought a question that you and I today also need to wrestle to the ground. And that is this. When it comes to Christ, are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a fan or a follower? Jesus has always had lots of fans. Today we've got lots of fans. We're in the church house singing, you know, we'll sing the songs, we'll bounce, you know. We'll get excited, we'll get, enjoy the fellowship, the camaraderie. we got our team colors on. You know, we got the Sox and the Cubs are fans, the Bears and the Colts and the Packers are fans, and some of them do. Um, we're fans. Jesus has fans, and we're all fans because he's cool, and he's good, and he does neat things. And, and, and I like it. I like it. It's part of my life. And if I can say the word Jesus once every 10 or so Facebook posts, it can kind of cover up for the rest so that everyone knows that I'm a fan of Jesus because he's, yeah, I'm team Jesus, team Jesus. And uh, we got the team colors on, and you know, we, we even just kind of keep that part of our life open so that hopefully it shines some kind of divine light and blessing dust over the rest of our lives. We're fans. But are we followers? Because if we're not careful when the going gets tough, when, when he asks something of us that we don't want to do, when he's doing a work, when he's, when he's, when he's calling us something that's not for our kingdom's sake and my will, but for the greater good, when he's asking something of me that he did for himself, which is sacrifice and serve, it gets hard. So the question comes down to this, and it always sorts itself out. In those days and today, it always sorts itself out in time. Are we fans or are we followers? And Jesus pushes the, pushes the button in verse 34. Let's keep reading. He says, Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, okay, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Give up your own way. We look at our way. My will be done. My kingdom come. It's a, God is there to enhance my dreams and to do my thing. If I keep him in his little corner, he'll bless me because that's how he works, right? It's, a, it's the genie in the bottle deal. And so I, I don't want to give up my way. I want my way. I want God to be a tool to get my way. So, you know, you know, but he says, you know, if you want to be my follower, you got to give up your way. And take up your cross. When he says take up your cross, they knew what that meant. In those days, Roman executions on the cross were very real, very frequent, and very brutal. Humiliating, painful, and bad. Jesus, may I take up a cross? May I suffer along the way? 
follow me. He's calling them to be his followers. Are we a fan or are we a follower? He makes a statement in verse 35, and it's so powerful. I want us to spend some time there. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. That might sound scary or even, you know, dark, uh, heavy, that verse. But that's a very encouraging and verse of clarity and encouragement. It depends on what we're doing with the last thing he said. If we're wrestling with, no, I want to do it my way, then this is, this, is a, this is a tension point right here. But if we accept the idea that following Jesus means giving up my own way, taking up my cross and following him, this verse is so much clarity. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. Isn't that true? Is, hasn't this been proven true in your life and my life or the lives of people that you know well when you, in your lifetime? People who, who spend their whole life holding on for, for themselves, their rights. This is my right, my space. I can do what I want for what's best for me. Because my rugged individuality, I can do what's best for me. So they live their marriage that way. Fighting for, you know, it's, you know, it's you know, looking out for me. They, spend their, they, send their, um, they parent that way. They, they, they treat their parents that way. They act that way at their job, to their boss, or to their employees, or to their neighbors. It's, 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 it's my life, and it's my dreams. Even with God, it's just like, hey, it's my life. Back off, everybody. Back off, God. Just, it's mine. And yet, how many times have we seen people do that, and they get promotions? They'll fight for promotions for everybody else. They'll fight for position, for recognition, for control in their relationships, for financial uh, prosperity. And how many people have those things, and they're perfectly miserable? It's like we hold on to our lives and say, no, my way. And we lose it along the way. Something is lost inside of here. How many people have all the things that they, everyone else just kind of gives them their way and just works around them and they seem to get what they want, but they're not happy. There's something missing in here. They're doing it, they're pushing it, everyone including God to do it their thing and they are, but they're missing something in here. They've lost something. And Jesus said, you hang on to your life, you'll lose it. You'll, you'll lose the sense of, meaning of purpose, of joy, of peace, of just, it's not the way. It's not how we were, we were created that way. We were created in God's image, and it wasn't to be that way. But, he says, but if you give up your life for my sake, for the sake of the good news, you will save it. That's encouraging, folks. Jesus is saying, look, here's the thing. I'm not promising you, you know, earthly wealth and, and uh, fame that may come to some of us. You never know. He's a, that's, not the, that's not the goal. That doesn't bring any satisfaction. I'm promising you that you'll find something better. You'll find real purpose and joy and peace that passes understanding. You'll find the happiness that's fleeting only comes from letting go of the things that you want to hold on to. It's counterintuitive. I hold on, it's my life, and I lose it. But when I let go and surrender, I find it. Is so clarifying and freeing. And sometimes we do that, we find purpose in serving and doing something bigger than ourselves, but then later on we say, I've had enough. I've, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a doormat. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do, it's all about me from now on. I'm number one. And we pull it back into ourselves. But in time, in time that always unravels again, doesn't it? In time that leaves us bitter, jaded, and harsh. But when we let go and surrender once again, when we come back to the cross again and say, Lord, I let go of my way, I follow you. It brings us back to the thing that we can't find chasing it. We find it in letting go. 
And then Jesus says, and what do you benefit? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? You gain everything, but you lost something right in here. What do you benefit? Is anything, is anything worth more than your soul? And then he adds this, if anyone is ashamed of me and of my message in this, these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He says it's not about being a fan, it's about being a follower. Follow me. So what do we do to follow his example? We talked about it earlier. It's about following his example. It's about walking in his steps. So what does it look like to follow? Well, the first thing he called us to is believe that he died for our sins. And we saw that was last week's message. He died for us. He rose again. Put your faith in Jesus for salvation. But after believing, following Jesus, the call to follow him, it first begins with baptism. We mentioned that earlier. Jesus was baptized, and we were called to follow him in baptism. And that's the big decision. And some of us, that's where we are. It's time for baptism. Now, I told you last week, if you were listening, I told you last week about the day when I was a 16-year-old boy in Michigan when I finally believed and received the gospel and became a, I believed in Jesus. I was saved. I told you that story. What I didn't tell you, because it wasn't, the point last week was that I knew that after I believing, we're called to get baptized, but I didn't right away. I just didn't do it. I, 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 was, I didn't want to. I put it off. You say, why? I don't really know why. I don't think it was a, a conscious, intentional stubbornness. I just, I, here's what I think it was. I, my dad was a pastor. Everyone kind of thought I already did all that stuff. So why would I, and I did, I, had to, I was baptized before, but now that I believed I was supposed to get baptized, but I just didn't want to like, people, what would they think, what, what would someone think possibly? So I just kind of just didn't do it, I kind of just quietly just didn't let it happen. I didn't, and I just kind of kept it to myself and just didn't do it, even though God was telling me to. And then, I didn't want to embarrass my parents, I mean, they baptized me when I was young. My parents, when I was young, got me baptized because they wanted to make sure I was okay, you know? Some of you were maybe baptized as a baby or when you were a young child because your parents really wanted to make sure you were in with God. But here's the thing about the Bible. We find that you've got to be old enough to come to faith in him yourself. You've got to become old enough to understand the good news and put your faith in him. And when I was 16, I came to understand the gospel and put my faith in Jesus. And now it's time of my own cognition and understanding of the gospel to follow him in baptism now that I've believed. But I had been baptized before, so I didn't want to push. I just, it was just as easy just to kind of coast one week at a time, one month at a time, and do nothing about it. But God began to work in my heart. Has he worked in your heart before? He worked in my heart. And I felt like him saying, you need to do this. You need to do this. So finally one day, I just got enough gumption to say I need to get baptized. And I did. About six months after believing, I was baptized. We didn't have, we, we, we didn't have a lofty Baptist Street there. We did have a little cutout in the wall with a horse trough behind it. That was pretty cool. And the horse trough and got baptized. But uh, it was got baptized. And that's following Jesus. Is that your call? Is God speaking to your heart about following? That there's a space in your life where, where he says, look, you've believed on me, but have you followed me in baptism? Picturing that your faith is in my death and burial and resurrection for your sins, that you believe in me for salvation, and also that you've died to your old life and you found a new life. You're, you're with me now. You're raised in newness of life. 
Have you identified with me? How do we follow Jesus? We follow him through baptism. It starts with baptism, really. But here's the thing. It doesn't end with baptism. If you've, been, if you've, been, you've believed and received Christ and you've been baptized, but you've not done anything else, that's not the end of the game. That's the beginning of the game. That's a starting point. Following Jesus means to follow his example, to walk in his steps. What did he do? Well, he served, didn't he? He served everywhere he went. He served mankind. Even when they didn't appreciate it, when they didn't pay him back, he, he, uh, he sacrificed for people who didn't even appreciate it. He forgave others. Even on the cross, as he died for our sins, the people who crucified him, he, he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He forgave open-handedly. He helped others. And he taught his followers to do the same. In fact, he often told his followers, watch what I'm doing, be like me. Interesting story. One time, several times, really, he's with his disciples going from place to place to serve. And his disciples were like, um, I wonder who's the greatest. I mean, Jesus is the greatest, but who's next in the pecking order of this party? And Jesus kept saying to them, guys, you're missing the point. This is not like the world. In the world, people fight for, pro for dominance. They fight for privilege so they can be ahead, so that people can serve them. They fight for financial uh, 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 um, means or, or promotions and positions and fame so that people can serve them and recognize them as greatness. That's what leadership and greatness is to them. But Jesus told his disciples in Mark 10, 43, among you, it'll be different. Among you, it should be different. He said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Verse 45, he says this, for even me, Jesus, the son of man, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, even though I'm the son of God. We were there when we made this whole thing that you're living on in the first place. Right? This is, this is, I'm eternal. But I didn't come to be applauded and served. Yes, that will come later. There's time for that. But right now, there was a mess down here. Sin brought destruction and a mess. I came in to roll up my sleeves and get dirty, to humble myself, to lay my privilege aside, and to serve others. That's what I'm doing on this earth. And if we want to be like Jesus on this earth, we got to lay aside those other things and roll up our sleeves and serve. Because he came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life. He lived with eternity in mind and focused his time here beyond this world. And we are called to be his followers. So last week we talked about putting your faith in Jesus. Putting your faith in Jesus. In other words, trusting him for salvation. But what is faith? Is faith something that I believe but doesn't change how I behave? I want to poke at your faith a little bit today if I can. I'm just going to poke at it just a little bit. I want to make the statement. If faith, if faith doesn't lead to following, what kind of faith is it? Think about that. If faith doesn't lead to following, what kind of faith is it really anyhow? Like, I have faith in Jesus with that eternal stuff that's beyond me, it's, it's too big. But when it comes to how I live my life, he doesn't know. Or, because I live my life, we don't agree. 
and I trust my ideas more than his. I trust my leadership more than him. I trust my best interest for myself than his best interest for me. So I'm not going to follow him, but I have faith in him in some weird quasi fire insurance sort of way to get me into the good place someday. But not in any kind of way where I actually want to do anything he says, like he knows what he's talking about. If faith doesn't lead to following, what kind of faith is it? Or as James said in the book of James, faith without works, what is it? It's dead. Because our faith is demonstrated by our works. In other words, here's the thing. Faith is a matter of trust. If I trust someone, I will trust enough to do it. I trust them. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's trusting and following him. What kind of faith won't follow? It's kind of like if, if I came up here today in this chair, for example, I'm going to use this chair. If this chair was sitting here today, and I came up and I said, oh, did you all see my new chair? Oh, I got a great chair. Check out my chair. I believe in that chair. I want to brag on that chair and that branded chair right there. That's a good chair. I believe in that company. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, have a seat, Arlen. <laughs> no way. Are you crazy? I was going to trust these old boys right here. Um, but I believe in this chair. Good stuff. Good stuff. Buy stock in the company. Good stuff. And well, if you have faith in it, put your weight on it. Show us. I'm like, no, no, listen. You should have a chair like me. Do you have a chair? Do you have a chair like me? Everyone, <clears throat> attention everybody in person and on social media. Everyone should have a chair like mine. Do you have a chair like mine? I have a chair. Do you have a chair? I have a chair. Do you have a chair? Oh, look at this. I believe. Well, then Arlen, why don't you put your weight on it? Oh, no, it's not going to carry it away. But I have a chair. Do you have a chair? I'm just going to trust my old legs right here, you know. Say, oh, that's a stupid illustration. I know. But that's how, that's how, that's how stupid our faith is in half of our Christianity. I have faith in God. Do you have faith in God? I'll say it on Facebook. I'll say it in church. I'll say it out loud. I'll everyone know. I have faith in God. Do you? I do. Do you? I do. Do you? you should, I, everyone should be. Everyone should, everyone should do it. Jesus, everyone, well, then put your weight on him. Follow him. Oh, no. I'm not doing that. Are you kidding me? I got this figured. I, I know better. But I, but I have faith. Do you have faith? What does that mean? What does that mean? If faith doesn't lead to following, what kind of faith is it? The idea of trusting is a saying, well, I kind of want to do this, but you made me and you need me and you know best. You understand. I trust you. So I'll do what you want. Instead, we're like, no, nope. That's a little box I keep him in for good luck. Faith. But if faith doesn't lead to following, what kind of faith is it? What kind of faith won't follow? So Jesus was getting ready to be crucified. He's in, it's the night he would be arrested. The, the next day he would be crucified. That last night, he is in an upper room having a last meal, we call it the last supper, with his disciples. He knows what's about to happen, but they still seem to be missing the point. So he's about to go to the cross and show the entire world his service and his love and his sacrifice. But in this last supper, at one point, he gets up from the table, takes a basin of water and a rag, and he begins to wash the dust off of his disciples' feet. And as he's washing their feet, it's incredibly uncomfortable for them. Can you imagine like, they're like, what's he doing? He's like, our Lord. He's, like he's, the main, he's the main guy. Like, some servant should be doing that. Then one of them, even Peter, even told him, stop doing that. Jesus is like, Peter, just shut up, okay? I'm, I gotta, I'm, doing, I'm doing this for a reason. 
He washes their feet. They're probably humiliated in this. It's just so awkward. When he's done, he sits up and says, guys, what did I just do? You call me your Lord. You call me your, your, your leader. I served you. I'm showing you in this room what I'm about to show the entire world on a cross. That I'm here to serve the needs of mankind. I'm laid my privilege aside to humble myself and become obedient to the Father's will, even to death. To, to, to be willing to serve and sacrifice for others. That's what I'm doing. He says, guys, don't miss it. In fact, here's what he says in John 13, 34 in this story. He says, guys, I've given you, I've given you an example to follow. Isn't that discipleship in a nutshell? I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. In other words, that's, that's what it's all about. Do as I have done to you. He says, I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. In other words, illustrations of how life tends to work around us, to say, follow my example. Verse 17, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now that you know these things, now that you've heard it with your heads, and you've even moved it from your head knowledge to your heart, you've even believed it. You have faith, you understand now that you know these things, God will bless you, not for knowing them, not for believing them or, or telling others about them or saying them. God will bless you for doing them. Because that's the point. That's the point of fellowship. I trust God in a tangible way to say, God, I, I understand. And I'm following you. And when we follow him, God blesses us. And what does he mean by blessing us? Does he mean, will I have more money than my neighbors? And a bigger position in fame? I don't know, maybe. That's not what it's about. That doesn't bring anything meaningful to your life, and you know that. You know it in others who have it and aren't happy. What does the bless us mean? Well, Jesus didn't experience it. His, his life ended on a cross. Then he rose again, but he went back to heaven. But you know, in the long game, Jesus is blessed, right? The Bible says that God has highly exalted him and given him a name above all names. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is honored and exalted. And whether it's in this life or the life to follow, you will be blessed. And you'll be blessed with, with the, the saving your soul, the, 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 the finding your soul, finding the life that you lose by chasing it. Finding the life you lose by not letting go. Finding the joy, the happiness, the purpose, the peace in life that gives your life meaning, that you can end your life and say, that was a life worth living. And then enter eternity and find that God has blessed and will bless you. Not for what you say you believed, but for what you did. God will bless you for doing them. Here's my question today. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Or are we fans? Are we content to be fans? Have you decided to follow Jesus? What's your next step? Is it baptism? Like if you believed, and were you like me, you believed, but you just never did, you just, yeah, I should probably do that. You, 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 get, you get stirred to do it once in a while, but you keep putting it off. Man, follow him. Just make that, make that public profession of your faith. Don't be ashamed of him before your fellow man. So what will people think? First of all, any of you, good person will be thrilled for you, excited for you. If anyone's not, that's their problem. Who cares what they think? By the way, if no one thought good of you, 
We, we're, we're, we do it to be identified with him. We're not ashamed of him. We're, 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 follow, we're, we're acknowledging that we're with him. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. If you decide to follow Jesus, is, is baptism your next step? What is your next step? You say, I've done that already. Is it serving? Is it serving your fellow man? Say, I'm tired of serving. You, know, you get ahead in this world by looking out for old number one. You get ahead at what? You seek your life and lose it? Or you lose your life for the gospel's sake, for the goodness, for Jesus? You live a better way. And you find your soul. You find life in a way you just can't find. It doesn't fulfill, doesn't, doesn't deliver on its promise. Serve. Is that your next step is to serve? Say, but, but people aren't, aren't doing it back. Deny yourself. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow him. What's in it for me? Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. How about your relationships? Is your next step to work on your relationships? Is there a relationship in your life that you need to do? Is, are we husbands who are trying to control our environment like little narcissists to make sure that we're respected and get what we want out of the thing so we're fighting for our position? Are we wives that try to use the leverage, our opportunities to manipulate how things go our way, our kingdom? Are we parents that parent from angry and proud space or children that rebel, push back because it's my life? Are we neighbors that are petty, co-workers that um, are, are hard to, to work with and bitter and mean? Employers or employees, people, church members? What, well, how's our relationships? He's like, oh, relationships, that's what it means. Listen, following Jesus isn't putting on a fancy suit on Sunday or putting on a Pretty dress, getting your Facebook status updated, Team Jesus with the right colors, whatever that means. It's, your, it's your, how we serve, it's how we treat people. Are we kind? Do we forgive? You say, but, but, but relationships are hard, I know. Give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. That's what he did for us. He served, he sacrificed, he helped, he, he forgave. See, forgiving is hard. They don't deserve it, I know. Give up your own way. But they won't forgive me. People don't always forgive me. It's okay, take up your cross. Follow Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. We're called to something better than a decent moral code that serves us best as we feel better than others. We are called to lay our privilege aside and follow Jesus. Say, so, well, that doesn't sound like much of a life. It's the only life. Everything else, and you know this, every time we chase the other way, it leaves us unfulfilled and something's off. But when we give it all, surrender it all, and follow him, it brings us something that money can't buy, fame can't buy, control can't buy, winning our way can't buy it. Because we follow Jesus. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Let's sing it together. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No, no turning back. No turning back.